0: We got the alternative energy, right. Right. We kill our free autonomy. We and welcome to the radioactive show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne on Wurundjeri Land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. My name is Mara. This week we're looking at the fight to stop a radioactive waste dump in France. We speak to Caroline Croft, an Australian activist who spent time there over the last few years, and we get to hear her first-hand account of the proposal and the campaign to stop it.
0: My name's Caroline. I've been involved in the struggle against uh, nuclear waste for some years. First of all, when I was in Australia, I went on the radioactive exposure tour, I think, in 2005. And then a couple of years after that, I moved over to France. And I've been on and off in Europe since that time. And within the things I've been doing in Europe has been to spend time occupying the site that's specifically aimed at um, resisting against the nuclear waste dump in France. So with that
1: radioactive waste dump in France, can you give us a bit of historical context about it?
0: The French country has been running off nuclear energy for at least 40 years, and as of 1978 until 1990, um, there was a total of 25 potential sites for storage of radioactive waste nominated across France, and every one of these sites was met by a strong resistance from their local communities, a bit like in Australia, I guess. In 1991... There was someone called Christian Barthel, who was a member of the National Assembly Assembly of France. He's a politician. Um, He conducted a study into the management of radioactive waste in France. and He stated that following research conducted into the geologic structure of the earth, we chose a favourable site. The final verdict was pronounced in favour of either salt or clay rock base. For salt, the long-term safety is about the capacities of confinement which salt can ensure, the demonstration of feasibility was made in the salt mine of Asse, Lower Saxony in Germany. The critical parameters for this safety inside a layer of salt is about plasticity, which limits the formation of cracks, its capacity for absorbing heat produced by radioactivity, and its resistance to liquids. On this last point, the salt formation at Gorleben has, been penetra- has not been penetrated by water for some 200 million years. This is, According to him... This was the ideal location to store the nuclear waste. And also, according to him, he extrapolated that he would rather not put nuclear waste into a salt base because salt could in the future become economically viable as a mining material. So for him, clay was the ideal location to use. And yeah, on a side note, in 1989, it was reported that at the site in Germany, there started to be cracks appearing in the place where all of the radioactive waste was stored, which meant that. Suddenly, the, like, the barrels that they it put, been putting underground in quite a while, I think it was in the 1970s, that they started to use this site to store nuclear waste. And so water was actually getting into that site and making cracks, which meant that that site was becoming more and more unstable. And after some time, like in 2010, I think it was, like after a lot of political blah, blah, and trying to decide what to do, it was decided that the best way to deal with this in Germany was to evacuate the site. Um, and yeah, which is quite interesting since this is like the ideal example that France is still running off as an example of this is how we manage our nuclear waste. Following the research that Christian Batel did in 1999, the town of Bure was nominated by the government for the location of a laboratory that was designed to do research into clay base or clay rock as a location for storing radioactive waste. Bure is a town that only has 80 residents the majority of which were ageing small-scale farmers that were being pushed out by large-scale agriculture projects such as wheat fields and cornfields and stuff like this. Thus, it was considered a perfect site for the laboratory because such a low population to resist and people moving out and everything else. However, as time went on, it became obvious to all that the research laboratory that they initially put in was actually a cover-up to have a more serious project to to install the radioactive waste Burial site at that location. The decision had already been made even before the laboratory was built, but that laboratory provided the perfect foot in the door to allow afterwards for the work to continue in a certain direction to start to, you know, to go towards making it a burial site. And how Um, far into that are they now? They they haven't actually started to do any more works than that. But you go if you go to the area, like you see that town is tiny and most of the houses are falling into ruin. The surrounds around the town is like these massive farms that you can't quite see the end of because it's quite hilly as well. You know, it must have once been like pretty lush forest. And the site itself, like the laboratory is there. There's a couple of, there's like a, an ecotech, which is kind of like a, a historical romantic thing about uh, what was happening in the nuclear industry in France. They've got that located there. They've also got a hotel and a restaurant for people that are coming to to do research about the site. And it's also like 24-hour guard's by security guards and the police, like with massive fences and stuff. So it's quite a fortress. And one thing that's quite interesting and quite similar to note about the way that they're trying to convince the local population, one thing that's similar to how they've been doing things in Australia is like the department where Boer is located, which is called the Moves, it's quite poor by French standards. And so the, the governmental body, which is initiating the project for building this nuclear waste site, every year since 1999 when they put their laboratory there they've been pumping 60 million euros into the department so this is like a way to bribe the residents and everyone into thinking that it's a really good idea it's just like you know it's quite similar to what they do in australia endlessly continuously to try and get people to accept mines on their land out bush just give them money to give them what should be essential resources anyway like for example in one of the surrounding towns this money has gone towards putting lights like street lights on the main street
1: so a bit of blackmail right. for radioactive waste.
0: Oh, totally. Big time, eh? Mm, we get yeah, that here. Exactly. It's the same. There's a lot of parallels, actually, which I think is quite interesting to note. Um, in 2006, the French government passed a law into the management of nuclear waste and stated that burying it at, at Bourg was actually the only option for, for dealing with this. In 2015, which is a couple of years ago, um, they started to begin on the construction works before anything was actually officially organised. Like, they obviously want to just push this through and they're trying to do what they can. Um, As of 2018, they're planning to have all of the authorisation complete and the first barrels of waste are projected to arrive according to their plans by 2025.
1: And um, what kind of waste is it? Is it low, intermediate, high level?
0: So the radioactive waste, As I said before, it represents over 40 years of nuclear power throughout France, and that's not including the waste that's still being produced today and will be in the future. Uh, At the time that, like I was reading a report, at the time that the report was was written, this means 80,000 cubic metres of high and medium half-life level radioactive waste, of which there will be 180,000 transportations of medium half-life waste and 62,000 transports of high-level half-life waste to note as well like just in terms of the way that medium level high level radioactive waste is classified yeah there is a difference between the way that these things are classified in australia and in france so just to note that high level in france actually means really high level waste so in terms of the logistics of the proposed waste dump in france um the radioactive waste represents over 40 years of nuclear power throughout france and this isn't including what will be produced in the future like this is including what has been already produced. You can imagine that the numbers I'm saying are going to go up and up. Mm -hmm. So of this, it includes 80,000 cubic metres of high and medium half-life level radioactive waste, of which there will be 180,000 transportations of medium-level half-life waste and 62,000 transports of high-level half-life waste. This will mean... Um, what they're planning is to have two transports of radioactive waste per week by train from anywhere in France. And these trains will be passing by trains, by towns and train stations on their way without any warning to habitants. And this also means that one dump truck of 30 tonnes of radioactive waste is going to be arriving to the site every 80 minutes, night and day for over 100 years. This is the estimate of how long it's going to take to transport everything there, as well as you know, before the works start to have trucks to transport cement to put around the the packages of radioactive waste and all the other materials, a ridiculous amount of transport. And
1: it's coming from all over France, is it?
0: It's coming from all over France. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. communities
1: are going to be on the transport route.
0: Yeah, and I should specify as well. Actually, the location of Bourg, like it's not central at all. It's in like the top. Um, the northwestern corner, so it's very close to Strasbourg and Nancy, and quite close to Germany as well. So it's not like they're bringing everything into a central location. Actually, they're going to have to drive it the whole way across France to bring it to this location. So this means a total of 13,000 transports, which means a risk of 13,000 accidents happening on the route on the way to arriving to the site. In terms of the the storage facilities. Um, What they're predicting is to have 560 hectares at surface level, which is going to be used to store waste waiting to go underground, as well as critical infrastructure, a train line, a train station, and all of these other areas. Um, There's also going to be 15 square kilometres of underground installation at 500 metres underground, and they're also planning 300 kilometres of underground galleries which is like the distance of 300 kilometres as the crow flies. That's quite a lot of space they're taking up. Um, there's also planned to be five kilometres of a double-lane road that's going to take transport the trucks down into the galleries where they'll then be leaving the waste. And there's going to be permanent ventilation ducts to the surface for the exit of uh, radioactive gases as they're released. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. <laughs> Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience.
1: A 3CR supporter. You're listening to the Radioactive Show, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We're speaking with Caroline about the campaign to stop a radioactive waste dump in France.
0: Is there much resistance
1: to the proposal?
0: Yeah, there's been uh, there's been a lot of resistance. Like as I said before, of the twenty five sites that were initially proposed, every one of those was met with quite a lot of resistance At it was a bit more difficult and it was also an ideal site because of the low low, low population which meant for them a low number of people to be resisting like, you know, in the ideal context but actually what's happened has been quite extraordinary and quite inspiring over time Um, so there's been numerous avenues that people have taken to resist against the waste dump which has included lengthy court cases to question the legitimacy of the presence on the land. Which, and there's also been various occupations of the land, um, you know, to, to physically have a presence to stop the work from going ahead. So yeah, I know mostly about the, the occupations since that's where I was spending my time over how, the years since I've been there. So.
1: How were the occupations? Were there many people there? Did people get arrested? Any of that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, an, ongoing, it's an ongoing occupation. Um, So as of 2004, which wasn't very long after they began to build the laboratory to do this research and after people started to realize what they were actually doing um, in 2004, some anti-nuclear activists created an organization who bought a house, which was like an abandoned farm, basically abandoned farm um, in the center of Burr, the town. And this house is it's kind of like a bit of a headquarters for people who want to come and learn about the nuclear industry or people who are already involved or already in organizations to come and meet together with other people who are concerned by this. So it's quite a quite a vibrant space. And this house, since it's a permanent structure, you know, it's not like they're going to be evicted or anything. There's been quite a lot of quite interesting work to happen over the years. Like uh, it's become a bit of a, as a side project, it's become a bit of an... Experiment in autonomous collective living. There's a sleeping space with up to 50 people staying there at a time There's a kitchen office space Meeting room gardens and the house is also running off solar and wind power So it's trying to be as autonomous as possible from the from the nuclear state. Yeah Um, There's also been a couple of other occupations that I'll go through in a minute There's been a few different actions that people who have been present have conducted on the space, you know, like in terms of the legal avenues and stuff like that to try and slow the project down. And one thing that's been particularly um, of note has been public debates that have been happening in the town. Like Something else that's quite interesting and important to note is like uh, part of the public engagement process in France to allow for projects like this is to have like what they call a public inquiry which is when they invite citizens or people living in that area to come and actually have a discussion about whether they are happy to have something go ahead or not. Because this is quite a controversial thing, um, you know, to for, for the residents to come to this has been quite important over the years. Um, so. It, You know, and they're also trying to do a similar thing like what they do in Australia, where they say, oh, yeah, we're only going to do this work if we reach consensus from the community, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, as similar as they're doing in South Australia at the moment with Badina. But in any case, in 2005, where there was a first public debate, um, it was found that the population preferred to dispose of the waste at surface level, as burying it was considered to be unsafe Mm. and... You know, of course, like just after that time in 2006, they made it law that that, that the only way to dispose of the waste was by burying it underground at Girl. So you know, like they don't actually listen to what people want. Yeah, there's a lot of that there. around. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but you know, like cloaking things as being democratic decision making, whatever else. But anyway, um, this had the result that other public meetings that they tried to hold or public inquiries about discussing how to proceed were actually shut down by people, by members of the public which meant that over time it became more and more complicated for the council and for people to meet and even actually discuss about how these things wanted to happen. So increasingly militarized presence at the spaces, you know, like about this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, In 2014, another piece piece of land was purchased, which was set up as a, a campground for people who wanted to be supporting the campaign. This piece of land is strategically placed on what would otherwise be the the railway line, which would bring radioactive waste to the site, which means that for you know it's like it's another another level of uh, prevention for the project, because if they wanted to build the railway line, they'd then have to go through the process of evicting this piece of land which has been legally purchased. So yeah, that, that piece of land there there's been a lot of activities organized there over over the years, especially in the summertime and yeah it 's quite a nice space for people to come and meet together so i 'd like to i 'd like to talk particularly about quite an interesting ac- um, aspect of this occupation, which was a forest in France. What happens with forests which are loan- which are owned by the commune, like they publicly owned pieces of land, which basically means that people can use them to harvest timber for the winter time, they can use them to go for walks, and you know like no one can really. It's a way of protecting the forest in some ways. You know, like within this zone that's basically a desert with wheat fields in it, there is still quite... Because they've designated these zones as forest zones. And so there is still the opportunity to to watch and to experience these kind of areas and not to be completely cut off from that. And so there's, there's one forest where... Um, which has become implicated in the project for the nuclear waste dump. In 2013... There was a public consultation process, like one of those public meetings, to talk about what should happen with this forest. And the majority of local residents refused to let the land be used for this. Um, Whereas in 2015, so two years later, there was a new mayor elected and he completely ignored this consultation process. He had a secret vote at six in the morning in which seven of 11 of his councillors decided to give this vote to Andra. So it's completely corrupt, it's completely illegal, this whole process. And who's Andra? Um, Andra is the and it's the French governmental agency for the radioactive waste management. Okay. So this is the, the governmental body that's responsible for dealing with the, new, with the radioactive waste. Mm-hmm. So this, this land was destined to be given to Andra. Um, after this time even though people had said that they didn't want for this to happen which is like a clear another clear break in democracy Um, as of the 6th of June 2016 um, Andrew commenced to do some clearing works in the forest and following these initial works um, activists and people who were present at the site they called a gathering on the 19th of June which led to a three-week occupation of the forest Um, during this time it was not possible. You know, of course, they couldn't come in and continue their works. Like, that's the whole idea of occupying spaces, which was great. Like, they couldn't continue to, to cut the trees down or to do their soil samples or whatever. Um, during this time, also, a, a network of people who are trying to leave the nuclear system, they made a formal complaint as logging had commenced without any legal authorization, of course. It's kind of like an interesting way of, like, the occupation side of things, going alongside the legal side of things, which is happening at the same time um, quite regularly through this whole campaign, actually. Um, As of the 7th of July last year, the people who were occupying the forest were violently evicted by the police um, quite early in the morning, which, you know, it's not very nice. The French police are incredibly violent. Like, if anybody has any idea about that, they're not afraid of using tear gas, using pepper spray. They use rubber bullets, they use stun grenades, they use what you call concussion grenades in France. They use a grenade that basically makes you go deaf if you're too close to it, like they do anything they can to get people out of spaces if that's what they want. So, so that's kind of what they were doing. That's the vibe of what was happening on that morning. The eviction was another illegal move as the, the eviction happened before the court hearing for the eviction was actually held. Um, after that time, there was a call out for people to come and reoccupy the forest. And people were coming and going, you know, a couple of times, getting evicted by people. Eventually, the the security guards and the company who are organized by Andra, they built a wall around the forest that went for three kilometers, which was made of, like, these massive chunks of concrete that were, like, over two meters high to try and secure the whole site and block it off as a construction zone, basically. Yeah, so that's what they did. Um... And yeah, then they also had security guards that were on the inside of the wall. So it's kind of funny, you know, like they were blocking, they were protecting the forest, but they were also protecting their own wall. Like it was quite a strange situation. Um, On the 14th of August last year, people decided to go and take the site back. So people were invited from all over France. There was another call out. About 400 people came with ropes, with picks and shovels, with spray paint, with different types of paint, with costumes, with musical instruments. And the idea was to come and tear down the wall, basically. For some reason, the the security guards weren't present on that day. Like, no one really knows why. But they weren't there at that point, which meant it was very much easier for us to, to get in there and to do this work. So that left three kilometres of, of wall that they'd built. Like, we managed to pull it all down in one day, like, turn it into ruin, basically, that whole site. It's quite an amazing thing. So after that point, people went back to Occupy the Forest, As of last autumn, Um, they stayed there through the winter and they also survived many attacks by police and also an attack by um, a minister for for Andra uh, poured petrol on people and tried to set them on fire. But that incident was filmed and that film went viral on the internet for a while, like just showing again the the violence that is being used in this place. During this time, like since last August, the case of uh, the logging of this forest and authorising it to belong to Andra went to court, so now it's actually legal for the eviction to happen and for them to start to work since that time. Yeah, it hasn't yet happened. The forest celebrated their first year of occupation on the 19th of June, which is oh, pretty Oh, that's exciting. fantastic, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's been, like, quite a big year and there's been, you know, a lot of coming and going and, or, you know, in the sense of being evicted and stuff like that, so been good because you know anything like this if you're able to to maintain something like that for a year it's going to have a pretty big uh, impact on the projects that they're hoping to have you know that's so, right yeah. that's the
1: whole point of resisting the project
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah so it's quite good they're still successful there's still people there they're still wanting to have other people come along if anyone's going to france this summer there's going to be uh, quite a few events there's some different things happening over there as always
1: Not long ago, the Australian government brought out a French delegation to go out and have a look at the proposed site in South Australia. Do you know much about that or any connections between the French and the Australian nuclear proposals?
0: Yeah, there was uh, the six people who were involved in the the Royal Commission um, in South Australia. and This was specifically, you know, they were trying to um, investigate how to build an international waste Dump facility in South Australia, like was part of this proceedings that they were working on there. Um, And as part of this, they were doing research, going around to different sites. So they went to Finland, where there's a site at the moment, still people are resisting against this happening in Finland. And they came to France and they also went to the state. We had the opportunity, we were lucky enough to meet with a a Greens member who was traveling with them and who's like, of of course, anti-nuclear. Um, that was Mark Parnell, he came and spoke with us. He actually, they came at a really good time because it was like, it was the first of September, so it was two weeks after we'd taken that wall down in the forest. And so he was able to come and we took him for a tour in the forest and, you know, sat down and had a chat and I think it was quite inspiring on all sides to talk with him. It was really nice. And then the next day, um, that delegation of Australian politicians went to um, go and have a look at the facility at the the laboratory of Andra. Um, and that was successfully blockaded by anti-nuclear activists on the site. So we had a banner that said, not at Wallabadina, not at Bourne, not anywhere, uh, which is quite nice because it's bringing the situation back to the Australian politicians, the people in France that have got connections and they've seen and they know what's going on in Australia. And it's not like you know, Australia is not quite so isolated as they would like it to be on some levels, at least in terms of this stuff. So That's right. So yeah. Australians
1: um, have gone to France, and you know that French people have come to Australia as well.
0: Exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, if it's interesting, I've got a, a letter that people from France wrote to give out to the Australian delegation. So there's actually a, a letter that has been written from the anti-nuclear activists in France, to the Australian delegation at that time and I don't know I guess if we put it up on the website or something and then people can have a look.
1: Yep, we'll put it up on our Facebook page and our website for the radioactive show.
0: Yeah, awesome. And yeah, is there cool. any other yeah, information
1: I mean, people can get like are there Facebook groups people can join or websites where people can go for more information about
0: There's a couple of websites. Mhm. Um, so there's a website I can just I'll just read out the the letters and stuff so it's en.vmc.camp. That's camp. that's c a m p. And that website specifically has updates about the occupation of the site, and that one's in English. And then there's a couple of French websites. Uh, one website that is Sortir de Nuclear, which is spelled S-O-R-T-I-R-D-U-N-U-C-L-E-A-I-R-E, that's all one word, .org. And that's talking a lot about the legal process for resisting the, the waste dump. And then there's another website that's called Burles on Lib, which is spelt B-U-R-E-Z-O-N-E-L-I-B-R-E, that's all one word, dot noblogs, N-O-B-L-O-G-S, dot org, forward slash. And that's uh, the website talking about the house project.
1: We'll put the links to that up on our website so people can access those to get more information. Thank you so much for joining yeah, it's us it's- on the show today, Caroline. It's great to get yeah. the French perspective. Yeah.
0: Thanks for for
1: having a chat. Thanks so much to Caroline Croft for her explanation of the campaign against the radioactive waste dump in France. There are clearly quite a few parallels in the campaign there and here in Australia. There are also a few key differences. One is that the campaign in France is so well resourced that they own a house that is used as a campaign base. Another key difference is that the French proposal includes an annual payment to the affected community, whereas the Australian federal government proposal only includes a one-off initial payment. Contrary to the hopes of pro-dump community members in the current potential Australian sites, being home to a radioactive waste facility is no golden goose. Further information can be found at the websites that Caroline mentioned, which have been posted on our website and Facebook page, along with a with letter written by French activists to the Australian delegation that visited them. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program at www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR with support from Friends of the Earth on the Stolen Land of the Rurundari People of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria, and is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue.
0: Black fella, white fella. It doesn't matter what you colour.
1: Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I
0: would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots
1: of changes, we need more brothers. If we're to make it... 3CR are selling Kafir Palestinian starves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. Hey! All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.